0: What if we had easy access to expensive tools and equipment so we could get more use from less stuff? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Hey, welcome back. It's episode 105, and we're going to hear about some amazing software that helps with the second of the three key circular strategies I advise people to use, getting more from less. Finding ways to get more use out of underutilized objects can have big benefits, especially by reducing costs. When we think about it, there are probably lots of things both tools and toys, that we don't use all day, every day. Sometimes we only use these things once or twice a year. But often we want to be sure we can have access to that equipment or that product whenever we want. Those needs might be planned, say for camping equipment, or unplanned, like repair tools. Today we'll hear from Jean Homakey, founder and CEO at MyTurn, a business-to-business platform that transforms idle equipment into value. MyTurn helps organisations to optimise asset usage, reduce waste and generate revenue by making it easy to offer rental, lending and product subscription services. Jean is a serial entrepreneur and technology strategist who's dedicated to advancing the circular economy and sustainable systems. Over his career, he's led teams delivering cutting-edge solutions for organisations like SEGA, ABC News, The Economist and the National Science Foundation. Gene co-founded the West Seattle Tool Library, which has helped provide affordable access to thousands of people in that community. After seeing how much stuff people had in closets, garages and storage, while others had too little, And knowing that businesses, universities and governments had even more assets sitting idle, Jean founded MyTurn. MyTurn's customers include businesses, communities, universities and public sector organisations, and it's a for-profit public benefit corporation. MyTurn's platform has a wide range of features, from admin dashboards to online marketplaces, helping organisations of all shapes and sizes to identify and rent underused tools, equipment and other resources, either within the organisation or by collaborating with others. MyTurn's customers are seeing big benefits from this circular solution, often increasing product reuse by 10 to 100 times compared to traditional ownership. Let's meet Gene Homakey so he can tell us more about MyTurn. At my turn, we offer an easy, we offer easy-to-use
1: digital infrastructure to enable circular business models that maximize product reuse. So provide a little more background. Um, many of us have too many things that we rarely use, but now imagine the scale of the problem for businesses, governments, organizations. They don't just have you know, a closet or a little bit of storage at home. They have storerooms, yards, and warehouses full of equipment that's often just gathering dust. In some ways, I really can't blame them. Prior to founding MyTurn, our core team worked with large enterprises and government customers, and we know their legacy systems focus on linear business models and really depreciating equipment, focusing on tracking how much value their physical assets are losing quarter after quarter. So we take a familiar but also a radically different approach with MyTurn, Our platform has everything needed from admin dashboards to online catalogs, maintenance tracking, reverse logistics, and commerce to allow organizations to unlock the value of their equipment and their physical assets. So enterprises use my turn to make their resources easy to view and share between departments internally, as well as to generate revenue by renting otherwise idle equipment. Social enterprises and innovative organizations of all types that use my turn to offer product subscription services like libraries of things where people can conveniently access power tools, sporting goods, electronics, VR headsets, just about any other type of product for a monthly fee without having to purchase them. So I think that's a little bit of the intro overview of the types of things that our platform is enabling.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jean. And that's really interesting, um, you know, talking about the way we've got systems set up, it's all ge- it was all geared around the linear economy. Um, and that's something that um, Barry O'Kane talked about when, it, when we were talking about software for the circular economy a few episodes ago. And it's it suddenly brings it into focus, doesn't it, that what companies are mostly doing is just keeping an eye on the value of the equipment and when things need replacing and potentially forgetting all about whether this um vehicle or um piece of materials handle equipment or whatever it is, whether they're actually getting decent use out of that. And sometimes you might need equipment for one specific job, um, and then, you know, it, it falls into into disuse or it's only used once a year. So there must be a massive amount of potential for companies to get more value for money and improve the efficiency of their operations by thinking about things differently. So how, how did you come to start this? What gave you the idea in the first place and how did you get going?
1: Yeah, so um, my background was in um, technology and I've always had, always had a passion for sustainability. Um, about a decade ago when I was moving cross, was moving cross country um, from New York to Seattle, here in the States. Um, I realized I had been living in my previous place for only about five years and just collected a ton of tools and items. I mean, it was just like amazing how much stuff I had collected over a relatively short period of time. Um, And it felt great when I moved. I donated and sold most of that stuff off, but I still wanted to be able to access those things without having to purchase them. Um, When I got to Seattle, um, Basically, got involved with a neighborhood sustainability group. And one of our members brought the idea of a tool library to us. So, sort of a like a library, but instead of borrowing books, you could borrow tools and even other home items. These days, um, that tool library, the West Seattle Tool Library, would probably be called more of a general library of things. We got started now. And, um, you know, this just seemed like a uh, amazing idea. So uh, provide people with affordable access to things without, you know, having to purchase them. And, um, you know, they can basically just pay a membership fee and get access to all these things. So uh, my co-founder, Nancy, and I had been working together for a long time. So we're like, okay, we'll put together a little, little project to, you know, get the inventory online. And, you know, so that way people could actually, Know, see what's available which really you know get some excitement about it um, and that snowballed into you know, it's like oh well we also need to manage you know members or customers memberships uh, you know items going out to people so loans or rentals uh, you know and so yeah, and then people typically you know if they want to depend on and make these things more convenient they need to know that it's going to be available um, when they need it if they're not going to own it so that you know, out of the idea of reservations, and so this you know sort of snowballed. And, you know, we we knew that you know it's like there there are going to be some other use cases. we were originally thinking things like traditional you know rental or hire shops, um, you know, and yeah, we'd see you know maybe look at that market. Um, but really, that first little community level program, that program that really tied together environmental, social, um, and economic know, positive outcomes. Um, and it was kind of, you know, amazing community building, helping people in the community. Uh, this was you know, a little bit in, after the uh, financial crisis, so people still out of work. So people were able to, you know, repair their homes, start new jobs, start new businesses. And so really saw that, you know, positive, that positive output and that, you know, at the uh, community level, so. And that really, that became the core of the My Turn platform. Um, you know, so our first couple of customers, um, so we sort of put the platform out there, website up. Um, you know, it's our background, it's, you know, custom software. And, you know, so we had you know, some SEO. First couple of customers were um, other tool libraries, libraries of things that were just getting started then as well. Um, then some, you know, something interesting really happened. Um, we started having businesses and even large enterprises coming to us to manage, you know, their equipment internally. Um, you know, these are organizations that you know had enterprise asset management systems, but you know, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier, they were difficult to use, and they were focused on, you know, depreciation on, you know, what they had, but not necessarily who's using them right now. How often are they being used? What's their utilization, um, and what's you know how can we increase the value of those assets? And how can we even see them across departments? So you know some of the issues. It's like you know as you, know, you mentioned earlier, it's like something would be purchased for one project. It's kind of put in the storeroom. Um, someone goes and has a similar project. They don't really know it's there because it's not easy to find. Purchase a few more, and next thing you know, you know one of those customers that came to us. They had, you know, six or seven copies of essentially the same, you know, t- same piece of equipment worth tens of thousands of dollars. And you know, they didn't know did they really need this many. And in, you know, in this case, you know, they didn't, but we were able to show them for a little bit, you know, for working with our platform that yeah, they didn't need six of them, but yeah, they did actually need four of them. And so um, because that's how many you know might be in use at one time. and so really it just kind of expanded from this you know community social environmental aspect also into businesses and really seeing that need for the you know the sort of legacy systems that are you know linear linearly focused rather than you know sort of reuse and more circular focus.
0: Mm. And I guess the ability to reserve things, and to, you know to be able to, to be able to know that you've got a future need or a regular need for something and to be secure in the knowledge that you'd be able to book that piece of equipment and use it then, that can be the key, couldn't it? because I can imagine you know lots of teams who might need a power tool or a, you know whatever from time to time. but the thought of it not being there, when they need the critical, <laughs> the critical piece of equipment means that you just make sure that you know we'll have our own in this team, and then we don't need to worry. So the the means of of doing that and knowing that you've got enough in the system to deal with the peak demand, um, but you haven't got you know one for every possible um, you know uh, non simultaneous use, it, you know is is really powerful, isn't it? And I guess there's also the potential i'm kind of thinking back to to my my early days at work and doing doing um stock takes and um you know things that you could see on the system and you were kind of thinking what on earth is this going to be when we when we find it and so you, you know you found the the um the number of the of the um inventory item but then the description that somebody put in when they'd bought it you kind of thinking why but why would you call it this so i guess there's all that going on isn't there where um you know people have named things according to what made sense to them or that they were in a rush or whatever so they've not really named it and then that makes it impossible for anybody else to even know that it exists in the system
1: yeah no that's that's absolutely true so it's like basically um, just to go back to one of the things you said on you know, so reservations or booking equipment. Absolutely. So that way people can know that that equipment's going to be available for their use or their team's use. Um, and it makes it a little bit easier for them to let go a little bit. Just you know, even whether it's in business or personally, we don't want to let go of things. It's what if we might need it for that one project six months from now. But if we know that, you know, we can actually book it for our own usage, then we you know, can really track when others can use it, and it makes it a little bit easier to get over that, you know, bump of you know we have to sort of control this ourselves to make sure we have it for our own, um, for our own use cases, and um, so I think that's you know, abs- absolutely, um, you know, critical piece. And what was your second point there? Sorry.
0: Yeah the the. Um inconsistencies around describing things oh, in the system yeah. so no, ab- absolutely yeah um, yeah so um,
1: and and most you know sort of like more
0: enterprise asset management
1: systems it's like a small name of an item whereas um, you know with our platform people can can add photos descriptions embed videos on how to use those items um, attach you know whether it's safety manuals or you um, you know, product spec sheets. So that way, even if someone names something a little differently, um, you know, it can do basically full, you know, obviously full searching of anything that's entered about those items to make them easier to find even if they're misnamed or miscategorized within the system. And really it just, you know, sort of surfacing the equipment within your organization or between organizations um, and making it much more visible um, then also makes it easier to find. So with, you know, with one of our customers, um, this is internal use um, at a healthcare provider doing an innovation library, and uh, you know someone in a different department, a VP in a different department, got access to uh, you know basically the system, so they could see what was available. You know, and they're like, Oh, this is great. I could, you know, use this piece of equipment, they reserved it. And, you know, even though they definitely say this was early on, and we had uh, some you know, fewer fewer ways for our customers to control who can see and reserve equipment, we you know, fully have you know, sort of role based access controls now that are finer grained. And so that BP, it's like, well, why didn't this show up on my desk? And so you know, because they were actually able to see it and then their department also came on board because they're like, okay, this is a great idea. And let's, you know, we have equipment that we can offer as well and let's actually do this reciprocally. Uh, Let's, you know, collaborate internally. Let's break down some of these silos internally. Um, And so it's, you know, a little bit of this step-by-step of, you know, taking these steps towards, you know, greater reuse, greater circularity. you know, potentially starting with a department, going between departments. You know, your next step would be okay. We're confident and comfortable with how we're using the equipment within the organization. Um, you know, we have partners, and some sometimes this happens now unofficially, where we might share equipment with one of our partners or another business. Um, and now that can you know expand even further out to other businesses, other organizations.
0: Hmm. And are you going? down the sort of, um, uh, ratings route with, with users. I mean, you know, if somebody consistently put something back dirty or broken or whatever, you know, would, would, would people be able to see that and, and, um, either, you know, flag it up that it, their behavior needs to change or, um, you know, decide that they, <laughs> they won't be the person to follow that, that user having the, um, the vehicle or whatever.
1: There, there are some, there are some ways to do that in the platform, uh, you know, in, in the more professional environments, especially that tends to be a little bit less, less of an issue, but that can be flagged. They can then be given more limited access. Um, basically, maybe that person can you know, no longer uh, borrow certain items. Uh, we also have, you know, features like uh, buffer time between uses. So that way, if something does come back and Yeah, maybe it needs uh, maintenance, even after every time it comes back or on uh, on a scheduled basis, that's all built into the platform as well. And those buffer days. So if something does come back dirty, or, you know, there, it needs some sort of repair, how do you you know, so again, how do you help make sure that it's gonna be available when that next person needs it? So we try to actually build some of those back best practices right into the platform. So there's a little bit less of the, you know, let's ding people and, you know, just really make it so that way we can handle those situations and our more our customers can handle those situations. And just to kind of be clear, um, which I should have done upfront. You know, we at my MyTerm- turn, we don't own any of the equipment. This is all, you know, basically um, we provide that digital infrastructure for our customers and try to make it as easy and convenient as possible. Mm. Our whole roadmap is making things, you know, making reuse easier and easier Mm. um, over time.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I guess even things like being able to compare one manufacturer's piece of kit with another um in terms of how well something stands up because this is one of the things isn't it with with shared assets um i was doing a um a bit for the for the book the other day and um using car sharing as an example and thinking that you know a a car that's suitable for car sharing needs to be very intuitively user-friendly, you know, who wants to hire a car for half an hour and have to read the manual as to, you know, how do I get this, this bit to work? Or how do I, uh, uh, I had a courtesy car the other week and I had to get the book out to find out how to open the boot. <laughs> I mean, it's things like that, where you're sort of thinking this is ridiculous. So all those, all those kind of things and the, you know, the whole monitoring of, um, ease of maintenance and how much does some something need maintaining and so on that's all going to become an element of differentiation isn't it for those companies that want to put their equipment into these kind of systems
1: yeah no absolutely so items that are durable and repairable are become you know, much more valuable in reuse type systems mm. um, yeah and it, and it becomes you know there can be you know we have yeah you know, Traditional manufacturing—that's, you know, a little bit more along the lines of planned obsolescence as opposed to reuse. But, you know, so for example, um, in the uh, say area of tools, you know, professional level tools are actually meant for use day to day and constant, and they're also more of a joy to use. And so, those more durable, repairable items. Um, they cost more upfront, which you know people often it's like, oh, I just I'm going to go and you know buy something inexpensive, um, but those really durable uh, and repairable items do become much more valuable in reuse situations, and they're also you know often more of a joy to use. Mm. You know, that's you know that can be true of you know cars, but yeah, you know cars it can be true of tools or just about any item. Usually, those professional level items um, are are much much better in these shared use and you know reuse type situations but the other thing as you mentioned um, you know sort of user experience and user interface of whether it's software or of items is critical um, and so basically making things as easy to use so even when it comes to easy to use easy to access um, so that's true of both the items as well as things like our platform so mm. What we also do is we bring um, that, you know, what you'd think of more as a uh, consumer level, although I kind of hate the word consumer, but um, user, consumer level, ease level, of yeah. use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. User level, ease of use, as opposed to traditional enterprise software use. And, you know, we bring that, and the easy searchability, the ease of use to software. Um, and then we're also working with partners to, how do we, how do we make, you know, product use even more convenient. So we have a partnership um, with uh, organizations started as one of our customers, um, Reiki the tool library, um, now building out the circular library network to do electronic locks and lockers, and locker systems to make accessing equipment even easier, whether that's at a, you know, at sort of the library of things level, at a community level or in a business. So to be able to essentially, you know, m- Add some convenience, um, 24/7 access, so that way people, you know, can easily just go use an app to log in, unlock a locker, get access to, you know, either something that's always there or that they pre-planned and pre-reserved to pick up. And so, basically, that convenience and ease of use is critical in these systems, especially in getting, you know, adoption, you know, getting people to switch from basically i'm I need to purchase everything and own it, assuming I can afford it um to moving to those you know access type systems and yeah so, the kind
0: of on, de- on demand aspect of it, yeah, I, and that absolutely. reminds me a bit of the thingery um in Vancouver yeah. um which was the kind of concept of a library of things in a in a shipping container solar powered so it didn't even need to be on the on the grid. Um, absolutely
1: yeah. familiar with them That's another one of our customers
0: All ah, right. right so oh brilliant that's, yes. that's good so um, great so we've talked a bit about how, how you've made it easier for users and asset owners and I'm guessing the software is a, a bit of a kind of you know a solution in a box so the setup is all quite quick as well
1: uh, absolutely I mean it's you know so literally go sign up Um, create your site. We've had customers that, you know, they've gone, they've created their MyTurn site, they've imported their inventory since they, you know, already had it either in another system or spreadsheet and up in, you know, lending within, you know, a few hours. I I won't say that's typical, um, but that, you know, we do have some of those customers that really can, you know, get up and running. Um, very very quickly. So this isn't like, oh, you need to put in you know, a massive implementation. Um, it is a you know, B2B white label software as a service platform. So you can sign up for your account, enter and import your inventory, um, do some configuration, you know, assuming you want to offer reservations, you want to, you know, configure different fulfillment methods. So you can do, you know, Pick up, um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our customers are you know very local, which is also a big benefit for you know when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. So you're doing reuse at a local level, so you're not doing a lot of transportation. So, um, but we do have other customers that will you know ship or deliver, sometimes via EVs, um, electronic lockers. So you can configure those different fulfillment methods. Um, you know, configure your open and closed days, you know, everything that you typically do, as well as your maintenance schedules, um, mentioned sort of stock takes or, you know, inventory checks, that's all in there as well, if you want to do one of those initially or you know, quarterly or yearly. So really, it's you know a complete platform. And you can dig in deeper, but you can get started with the basics, you know, uh, be up and running really quickly, and then sort of um, so sort of dig as, you know, go deeper as you need to with the platform.
0: Mm. Yeah, and we've we've talked about a few of the kind of psychological barriers to using these kind of systems like, um, you know, the psychology of ownership and, and feeling more secure that you've got 24-7 access to the tool you might only need once a year. Mm. Um, but what other kind of um, barriers are you coming up against and how how are you overcoming those? So, um,
1: I'll I'll actually go back to sort of an early surprise we had. Um, We've talked about it a little bit, but one there's always there's always um, converting from an existing system or adding another system on. So, um, so when someone's entrenched, uh, but we've been really actually uh, sort of surprised by how many of our customers uh, don't know. Kind of don't know what they don't know they don't know where their equipment is right now um and so you know getting them on board getting their you know inventory their assets entered they have to in some cases find them um, they might know you know some of those descriptions and their systems might not be up to date some of the equipment might be gone and so really getting them you know getting them onboarded and getting them to change procedures if any you know software really is only going to be valuable, is only going to give you those benefits if you actually use it. So making sure that they're actually using it. So we do offer things like, you know, especially for our larger customers that might need it with more complex use cases, training and onboarding. And, you know, we were just kind of surprised and almost taken aback at, you know, such, you know, especially the larger enterprise customers that, you know, kind of don't, they they don't have a good idea of you know, their own internal utilization. So to try to so it's been more of a challenge. We've we've had to do a lot more implementation of you know taking those old linear software systems and really making them you know more adapted to a circular system. system but as opposed to being able to put a layer on top of the old systems, it's just you know ha- hasn't worked. So we've really had to you know build out a lot more of that back end infrastructure than we ever, ever thought we would um, early on. So it's, you know, it's, there, there are always surprises. That's, that's been kind of a, a big one. Mm. Um, But then to sort of get them over the, get them over, you know, over moving from those more linear systems and, you know, the psychology there. So some of it is their customers are pushing them um, with, you know, ESG efforts, climate efforts, um, you know, We've seen, like the UN Resource um, Panel, is basically um, they had a report out a few years ago that you know reuse can reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions by up to ninety nine percent. So over, you know, essentially new products and in some sectors. So we have, you know, sort of those environmental, social reasons. Um, we you know are also seeing, and we saw during. Um, Especially the worst of COVID, um, supply chain disruptions. And I don't think those are going away. Um, so we're seeing more onshoring of manufacturing. Um, so, you know, prices going up on certain equipment. So, getting more use out of that equipment, you know, um, as well as inflation. Um, so, getting more use out of your existing equipment is going to be critical. And then also, if you can't just, okay, well, we're used to just buying you know, more and new stuff all the time, whether this is at you know, household level or at a business level, um, it's just not gonna, you know, it's not gonna work, you know. That's not even to mention going into, you know, the whole resource constrained world and biodiversity loss and how we can't, you know, basically we can't keep on this, uh, you know, consumption level as, as a society, but just from the economic point of view, Um, and supply chain disruption point of view um, we're going to need to basically do more with the things that we already have Um, so that's going to be internally at a business and then also between other businesses and you know in
0: other business groups. Mm. Yeah that's really interesting that suddenly a lot of those you know it's kind of the way I look at it is that um, you know we've now reached quite a few tipping points in terms of the competition for resources not just materials um but you know competition for low cost labor competition for um availability of of transport um you know competition in terms of buying for microchips and all that sort of stuff which sector has got most most power and can afford to pay more and so the knock on effects of some of those things that seem to be quite niche then extend out into all sorts of other supply chains. So this whole mindset shift around being frugal with resources and trying to be more self-sufficient um, in terms of you know local and knowing what's in your in your own supply chain that you can use over and over again. I think those are going to be becoming more more important as time goes on. And is there anything that you particularly struggled with over the period of building up My Turn? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, like I said, the, the, the big one is just, you know, really realizing um, how big of an issue this is and you know, having to go back and build out more of that infrastructure and more of those, you know, what we considered, you know, sort of back end tools that we didn't necessarily um, Think we'd need. Um, we also came, you know, come out of um, enterprise software development. So we did large projects for ABC News, here in the state, the National Science Foundation, so you know, enterprise government, and so we take a little more um, careful um, approach. And so we might seem to move a little bit slower than most organizations. So we take really security. Um, into every step of the way, and so sometimes we kind of feel like, oh, we're we're falling behind. We can't just throw stuff out there and you know make it work. This you know there needs to be a petition, but yeah, I think that's really served You know, it has ended up serving us well, given you know you know we're ready for things like GDPR, other privacy related things, and just now with um, you know how important and critical security is. You know, we hear about you know, and th- this becomes such you know such a big, you know, a big focus in making sure that, you know, our platform, you know, is secure, is protect, you know, we're providing good data protection. Um, And then I'll I'll say one area where, you know, we're focusing now that we haven't done as good a job as I wish we wish we had had is um, on accessibility. You know, so basically ease of, you know, which comes down to both ease of use of the platform, which we've done a pretty good job on, but making sure people, you know, with disabilities, whether it's you know, site type issues, um, making sure they can really use the platform as easily as anyone else, and making sure that anyone can, both from, you know, for our customers' customers, as well as for our customers. Um, and so we have a sort of a big, big push push there right now to, you know, it is, you know it is critical to be as inclusive as possible um, for, you know, these types of services. So I'd say those are, you know, two areas that, you know, We've done a lot of work and you know, and we have, yeah, still have more to go.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. and It's something I'd not thought of, but I was immediately thinking back to the, you know, filling in the alt text or whatever it's called on <laughs> when you're putting images <laughs> online. Exactly. And then, you know, I think it was a while before I'd properly understood what that was for, that it wasn't just for um, SEO. It was because... <laughs> You know people could hear it and then thinking, "Oh, know yeah well I need, I need to do a better it's, job on how i'm describing this this image well with,
1: yeah with, with with you know screen readers and you know that's and that's you know a good percentage of people is their primary primary interface um, and so but most of those things the things that you're doing to help with um you know for accessibility also tend to help everyone else because you're really making things clearer easier to use and so you know it's really a it's really a win-win
0: yeah yeah it just gets you thinking more about um you know what what what's the important thing to say here doesn't it instead of um just going going with your first thought on how do i fill in this box and gene are, are there any exciting developments in the pipeline that you want to tell us about
1: oh yeah so we have a pretty huge roadmap um one of the ones that's Coming up is we're going to be releasing basically greenhouse gas emission um, reduction reporting, so climate reporting on reuse of products over purchasing them new. So really looking at you know instead of you know someone. You avoided purchases of this product. Um, What are your savings there? Um, And then also improvements to sort of our cost savings. So again, over, you know, reuse over purchasing additional products. Um, So that's, you know, that's sort of some of our, you know, more exciting stuff on the KPIs. And then as, you know, kind of discussed, um, more integration with things like electronic lockers to make things, you know, much easier um, to access 24 um, seven, that's there now, but you know, additional improvements there. And so, and we just have a kind of a, you know, great roadmap, um, <laughs> long roadmap. Um, so, but everything, yeah, you know, any anything we can do to essentially make reuse easier than purchasing new, that's, you know, that's on our roadmap and, you know, showing the importance of it.
0: Yeah, brilliant, and I can imagine that Um, being really, really useful for lots of companies as everybody tries to get better at reporting on carbon and and showing that they're making a difference. And so, Gene, when you're talking to other startups, and particularly those companies that are thinking about doing something circular or going more circular, what's the lesson learned that you you like to share with them? Um,
1: So that they can get going there's really there's really nothing stopping them especially when it comes to reuse if they have any sort of equipment they have any sort of resources that you know at a a minimum using internally how do they track them and make the most use of them it's like there's there's really there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to the circular economy Um, if they're ready they're a startup they want to offer a product subscription service yeah yeah just you know kind of just do it also Um, really get get your platform out there. Um, Yeah, this was a tough one to learn, especially coming out of the enterprise space in that um, launch before you're ready, launch before things are perfect. Um, Aside from, I'll say on the security side, that's actually a pretty security and data privacy side, but aside aside from that, um, get get something out there, get an MVP out there. don't reinvent the wheel if you can. If there's a platform, whether it's ours or some other one that can solve most of your problem, at least for your MVP, start there. You can always build there, and then you know if you, know, you find that you've outgrown that platform or you need something, one, try to work with them, see if they'll expand. You know, the, the most important thing is we really need to move on circularity, on climate, on reducing consumption. You know, Consumption really drives also a lot of the climate crisis, and so if we can really reduce that and move as quickly as we can, work together as opposed to, you know, necessarily you know trying to compete. Like, how can we actually? So, my, my it's like work together. We we're, we're, we try to do that. We'd rather partner than you know compete. You know, a little bit of uh, cooperation can be great, um, but yeah, you know, let's let's kind of like work together and use the platforms out there let's improve them and just the scale and speed we need is you know critical especially right now you know, latest ipcc report mm. out last week that you know our time is shorter things are kind of you know more critical um and so moving faster now and so let's you know it's kind of just let's get moving
0: mm. yeah i think i think you're right um and certainly the um, minimum viable product is really good um I've just been reviewing some um, grant applications and a lot of those had, were kind of going from here's our idea and then we want all this funding to, to kind of build the product and nowhere was there was there any kind of, you know, testing of, of this as to whether people actually said they wanted it and, <laughs> and, and what you know, what kind of thing they were looking for. So um, even though it, it feels like it gets mentioned all the time in how to start your business, um, people still miss it out don't they
1: do, do that mvp talk to talk to as many potential customers as possible before building your product make sure there is and make sure people will use it people don't always know what they want but you know present and user testing absolutely mm. so you're you're absolutely right it's it's critical and then yeah, you know, do your mvp learn and learn from that and then Yeah, so we we've had a number of uh, essentially we almost consider our platform can be for experimentation and incubation, Um, and so you know a lot of the time our customers will stick with us. Sometimes they'll go off, and it's like they've done their MVP on our platform, and that's great. If they're doing you know anything around reuse, um, we just want we want to see them succeed because you know there is so much work to do. This is such a big market uh, that you know it's what you can to kind
0: of get going mm. that yeah that that's really um really inspiring uh you know kind of just helping people fledge into this new system whether it whether they stick with you or kind of go off and do their own bespoke thing but the important thing is the mindset change isn't it and, and seeing a different way of getting value from the equipment and, and assets that you've got and Gene, is there somebody that you'd recommend as a future guest for the program? So I don't have a specific recommendation, but I'd actually recommend
1: sort of expanding out into areas that are related to the circular economy and also that are sort of foundational to what's the circular economy trying to solve. Um, so, you know, as, you know, sort of touched on this, but climate is a huge huge issue. Um, And, you know, if you look at it from a consumption perspective with, you know, resource extraction, global supply chain, so, you know, um, manufacturing, transportation, storage, um, a lot of these are the big components that other people are working on. So energy use, transportation, and what's all of that stuff for? It's often for consumption. And so how do we sort of, you know, so yeah, circular economy would really need to reduce consumption reduce consumption. And so how do we tie in um, energy? So I, you know, I'm so sort of on the climate and energy side, um, there's Dave Roberts, the Volts podcast. He's been in this for a long time. So it might be someone interesting to sort of cross-pollinate the ideas of circular economy, um, climate behavior change is another you know, huge, huge issue because that's, you know, that, that's one of the reasons, you know, I've I, in tech for a long time, and one of the reasons I got into tech is looking for what are the what are the biggest challenges. Did a lot of cutting edge technology, but the thing that is a much much bigger challenge is cultural and behavior change. Um, and so, how do we pull those levers? So, talking to people in those areas, I think it's you know getting them and introducing new audiences is, is really, I think,
0: going to be critical. Mm. And I think that ties back to what you were saying about um the sort of mindset shift particularly after the last recession and uh, and after covid as well okay. that people are sort of seeing hiccups or you know big issues in their businesses around availability and supply chain disruptions and so on and then realizing that sharing and and better utilization of the same assets helps them with that and also helps them with these bigger issues that perhaps feel a bit more nebulous and it feels harder to understand what you can do to influence those. So I think you're right that, you know, tying circular strategies and approaches into the bigger picture so people can see here are the direct benefits for our day-to-day business, but look what else we've achieved on the way. Um, I think that's, that's a really good suggestion to, to um, you know, kind of frame the bigger picture around things. So thank you. And, Gene, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing to make a better world, what would that be?
1: Yeah, so um, this one's also also tough. I don't think there's, like, one sort of technological or economic fix that can really address the challenges we're doing. But what I'd probably do is just give everyone a little more empathy. So really to understand what other people are going through, people not that are part of their tribe, and how the – things, how the decisions they make, the things they purchase, the way the services they use, how does that impact other people? And really try to think about the world from their point of view. And I think that would be something that could sort of get to the root of a lot of these problems, whether it's environmental issues or social issues, when people really understand and can feel what other people are feeling. I think that's kind of, uh, you know, that I think could really Know, help. Um, you know, I wish I had that magic wand, um, but hopefully through you know, some of the work that we're doing, we can you know, make some of that happen anyway.
0: Mm, yeah. And it's another, it's another one of those mindset shifts, isn't it? That sometimes it just takes one story or one experience to give people a, a different window on how, what they're doing in their everyday life without questioning it um, you know how they can suddenly look at things differently and 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 sometimes um, and I'm, I'm trying to think I think of an example but it's probably going to be a long story but sometimes you you suddenly discover something and that changes your whole outlook on doing that thing again Um, you know maybe I don't know ki- kids apparently oh yeah one of uh, <laughs> One of my podcast guests was, was um, helping children in school understand what was in their clothing, and kids were shocked to discover that oil, petrochemicals, were in most of what they were wearing. Um, and that suddenly made them think completely differently about the clothes they were buying. Um, so, yeah, all, all sorts of ways to um, to trigger that. So, Gene, so how can... Com-
1: those, those emotional changes, Yeah, it's mm. really tugging on... The emotions to get people to change is critical. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think you're absolutely right. So it's it's finding those leverage points, isn't it? And those stories that you know that don't. We were talking before the podcast, weren't we, about people's individual journeys? So you don't want to kind of shock somebody and switch them off entirely by making them feel that they're being blamed for the entire consequences of the world that we live in now. <laughs> but seeing things that they perhaps didn't realize. And giving them an easy way to do things differently, just as you're doing with the, you know, you can share all of this stuff and it's, you know, makes the company more efficient. And that might mean, um, you know, slightly higher wages or better customer, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, finding ways to unlock that. So um, finally, Gene, how can people find out more and get in touch?
1: So um, best place is to visit our website, myturn.com. And so kind of definitely reach out um, if you are looking to you know sort of do something basic or you know do a whole circular transformation of your business or start a new, you know, if you're a startup, whether you're a community, whether you're an enterprise, um, we are happy to work with you and get you started on that journey to you know more circular and sustainable uh, business models.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Jean, for taking the time out to share the story so far for my turn. And it's great to hear about a business that's helping people get more use out of underused objects and finding ways to make useful and, and, and fun stuff more affordable and accessible. So I look forward to following progress over the next year or so. Great.
1: Thank you so much, Catherine. It has been a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Organisations are finding this really helps them save money and keep better track of what they're using. Do we need a 100 of these special tools or just 10? Businesses can use the software to offer their products as a subscription or rental service. Campuses can manage bike lending and equipment sharing and in cities, MyTurn is used to manage libraries of things where people can pay a subscription fee to access tools, camping gear, small kitchen appliances, gadgets, and lots of other useful stuff. Now that organisations can measure how well their tools and equipment perform, ease of use, ease of maintenance, and reliability, it becomes easier to compare different makes and models and to make better future purchasing decisions. That should encourage the manufacturers of tools and equipment to improve those performance features to avoid losing out to their competition. Gene told us that the idea for MyTurn came after he founded the West Seattle Tool Library, where people can hire an incredible range of tools and equipment, from gardening to plumbing, from car tools to electronics, and much, much more. You can check out their inventory online on their MyTurn platform. I've included a link in the show notes. Jean told us that it's really easy to get started with MyTurn software. So if you've got an idea for your organisation or your community, maybe MyTurn is just what you're looking for. So there you go, another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our awesome guest this week, Jean Homaki of MyTurn. And thanks also to the amazing Cynthia Reynolds, founder of the Circular Economy Coalition and Circular Regions, for suggesting Jean and introducing us. You can find out more about Jean Homoki and MyTurn at myturn.com and check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. <laughs> I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn.